We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Mr. Simon Howell. Howdy. How's it going, Simon? Uh, busy again. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening again. <laughs> Yeah, all the new pilots are coming up mid-season uh, uh, has hit us, and this is going to be uh, recovering a lot this week. And we're also talking Wonderfalls in our DVD shelf this week, which is awesome. Yeah, it was so much fun. We talked with uh, Dan, who's of course over from Earth2.net and Bigger on the Inside. So that was that was a lot of fun, and that's coming a little later in the show. But uh, before we get there, it was, like I said, it was a jam-packed week. Yeah, but unlike last week, there's some good news to yes. talk about i think for yeah. once. i'm excited about that um we're gonna kind of kind of uh, blaze through a few of these shows um and also we'd normally spend a little more time on, on the comments and such thank you guys so much for you know posting comments and and, and tweeting us and all of that good stuff we heard from mario who liked the fades and uh likes being human the but but is not a fan of the remake i uh, i'm with you on that mario in that i haven't even checked out the us remake because I, it just doesn't seem like it's a good idea i i like the original show though i it kind of lost me in at, at the end of the last season um so i i don't know if i'm still around for next season but i'm with, I, i'm with you that they need to stop remaking perfectly f good british shows that have no need to be remade He's also very tired of Top Chef, um, but we're going to talk about that later in the episode when we get to Top Chef this week. And Dan likes Portlandia, so he kind of broke from us on that. And also Sleater Kinney and her new band, Wild Flags. Now, I know nothing about any of this music stuff, which is entertaining given my profession. Mm -hmm. um, what can you tell me about, about Wild Flag? Uh, well... They're sort of a super group of sorts involving Carrie Brownstein and a couple members of other sort of other bands that you would know nothing about and would probably do nothing for you. Um, but they're no Sleater Kinney. And I think even Dan will acknowledge that. Um, we also had a bit of discussion on Twitter about about Fringe. Now, I've, I've been writing reviews for the website of, of Fringe this season, and particularly this week, as I'm sure we'll discuss later, uh, my my task was made all the more difficult because while we have Folivia and Walternate for, you know, nicknames for the other universe versions of characters, there is still no accepted nickname for uh, the other Lincoln Lee. I've been going with Clinkin for Cool Lincoln, but I don't know that I'm, that I really love that one. So I threw it out there to Twitter. Ken votes for Twinkin, so Twin Lincoln. Um, I'm an alien votes for Blinken for badass Lincoln and Matt votes for Ling clone. So w what do you think, sir? Uh, my vote is solidly on Ling clone. 
just because the others feel like they have other meanings that I don't think have anything to do with the show if you read them incorrectly. Whereas Link Clone, I know he's not really a clone, but I still like the sound of it. And it's clever. <laughs> so uh, let us know what you think about that. Leave a comment. Send me a tweet. Uh, I have, I guess, until this Friday to determine if I'm going to change up my terminology. But uh, yeah, they're, I think they're all pretty good. Um, I, I, I enjoy getting some feedback from you guys. But I do think it's interesting that while there's such a clear... Like, Folivia and Walternet have been used on the show. There's just nothing. There's nothing for Broyles. There's nothing for Astrid. I don't know. I think the Fringe fans need to uh, get on this. What do you think? Uh, yeah, well, I think for Astrid, they should just use whichever... Has has Walter ever repeated a, a misname of her before? Whichever one know. that is, they should... Well, they should just pick one. Pick one of those. Because that... a, enter- a lot of those were entertaining. Yeah, that works. I like it. <laughs> now, let's see. On the website, we have our Sundance coverage going strong, and... I'm going to have a list up this week. I haven't quite settled on that yet, but later in this week I will have an article up. Of course, last week I did a piece on when being a mid-season replacement is actually a benefit. And so if you'd like to check that out, that's up on the website. Now we have the Hell on Wheels finale review, which uh, which aired this past uh, Sunday, I believe it is. So James has a review of that up on the website. We also have a new Thursday night comedy roundup article or column. That'll be going on every week, uh, started by Justin Weir. So this past week, he reviewed 30 Rock and Parks and Rec. This coming week, he's going to, I believe, also cover Archer and Unscript, uh, Unsupervised, which are the, the premieres that are happening on FX this Thursday. So that's been a fun addition. And of course, we still have Revenge Views by Lois and Clea, Sherlock, coverage by Katie, and Chuck by Dan. Um, now, you... Of course, tonight is the big Justified premiere, and you're going to have a review of that this evening. Yeah, very excited for that, especially since I've been hearing good things about the pilot and early episodes of the season from elite mofos who have seen them. Yeah, I wish they would stop telling me so much. I know I don't I've been not reading reviews and not it just sort of the Twitter awareness of this season is disappointing to me because I want it to be fresh. Well, just. Get off Twitter, <laughs> at, least, at least for another eight hours. Just stop talking to people. That's clearly what is the logical and sane solution. Well, I'm just going to stick my Not talking my to ear. people is my usual solution for stuff. <laughs> now this week, oh, because there are so many different shows to cover, we're going to change up the format a little bit. I'm going to just sort of blaze through the shows that only I watched up at the top here, and then we'll go into our day-by-day uh, week in TV. So first I have in my TV roundup, I guess, I have Happy Endings, which was on Wednesday, Meet the Parrots. And this is one where we find out that Dave's dad is currently dating Penny's mom. And uh, there was some other uh, there was some other subplots going on there, but that was the main one. And uh, any episode that features somebody throwing a tantrum saying, Ed Begley Jr. stupid. Uh, is gonna probably make me happy. Lots of humor about uh, hippies and and such. And just watching Dave continually freak out about having Penny as uh, as an older sister is is good in my in, in my books. And there was also a nice The Wire stakeout subplot that was was fun. So I, I thought it was a good one. Then we had the Finder pilot, which aired on Thursday, and I had seen the backdoor pilot for this when it aired uh, last season on Bones. Um, this 
I've been hearing a lot of rather positive buzz on this one, and I'm kind of confused by that because it's not terrible, but it's not good either. Um, this If this pilot had aired on USA, it would be a mediocre USA pilot as opposed Ouch. to like Psych or these other ones. And not, it's just, it, and again, it wasn't bad. We watched some pretty bad TV this week as far as pilots goes, but it's not particularly interesting either. I, I enjoy all the characters on Bones and John Francis Daly, who plays Sweets, is going to be guesting next week on The Finder. And even that doesn't prompt me to want to check it out. So while I, while they do have a rather charismatic cast, it's just, it didn't grab me. So, and, and this kind of thing is up my alley. So that's a bit disappointing. Then um, on Thursdays as well, I know certain listeners will be happy to hear this. I am starting to catch up with The Vampire Diaries. And I watched all of season one and then partway through season two. And um, it's a fun show. I got to give them them credit. Uh, and by them, I mean Sean and some of the other people I know who have been kind of poking me to check this show out. So thank you, Sean. And thank you, Target, for having it on sale. So I made the leap. Um, what I thought was interesting in watching particularly the, um, the first season, and I'm sure it'll only ramp up here in season two, is how much the show manages to distinguish itself in its tone and content from the other vampire shows. And I think that's what makes it work and makes it not feel like a uh, Twilight kind of a show. There are things about the Vampire Diaries that set it apart from Buffy, from True Blood, and some of that's in characterization. Some of that is just in, in story. They go through story on the show like nobody's business. It actually sort of reminds me of the old-timey, like, action-adventure serials in that way. And I also really appreciate that they aren't afraid to go there with their characters. The I don't want to get into spoilers in case people like me are late to the party, but they have... They commit to to certain things. They they don't just tease. Oh, maybe the good guy's gonna go bad. They you know they're not will they're they're willing to have him go bad, and maybe the the bad guy is gonna do some crazy shit. You know, like they they commit in 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 a nice way to, uh, or I should say, they embrace change and they embrace uh, just frenzy in their storylines. And I think that's a lot of fun. It's an excellent DVD watch too. It's very addictive. So that's been fun. Let's see, on Friday, I caught the second episode of Portlandia season, despite not really enjoying the, the premiere, just because there was going to be a lot of Battlestar stuff. And I love Battlestar, uh, Galactica, that is. It was better than last week's for me, but still not interesting enough for, for me to jump on board. So I have a higher opinion of it than I did a week ago, and I guess I'm glad I watched it because of that. I can see why people like it even more now, but it's just still not my kind of humor. Then on Friday, we had Supernatural, Time After Time, which uh, I, for which I have a review up on the website. And this was a fun one. Um, anytime Supernatural does time travel, it's, it's going to be good. They, they've, done, they've gone back in time. They've gone forward in time. They've time looped. Every time, uh, this I would say is one of their weaker time travel episodes, but that's just because all of their other ones are fantastic. So um, it, it was a lot of fun. And anytime you get to have characters uh just geeking out about being in a time period like the the guy who travels back in time is dean of the two brothers and so he's making untouchables quotes left and right and back to the future quotes and it just makes the show a lot of fun to watch so I, it was nice to have a light-hearted episode of supernatural for once 
And a few more. I'm going to keep talking here. Um, we have Grimm, which is on Friday, Game Ogre. And uh, this was uh, the, the, the main thing for this, um, in my opinion, was that there were a few nice moments of taking time with characters in Aftermath of Violence that I was noticing other shows wouldn't necessarily spend the time on. So I, I enjoyed that they were willing to go some places with character this week. And that was nice. It still wasn't amazing, but it's a it's a solid step in the right direction. So, do you feel like like Grimm is amounting to something at this point? Because that's sort of what I was hoping for from the episode that I'd seen and wasn't really getting. Not like, yet. It, okay, but it could be. I'm not. I'm still reserving judgments. Um, so while I'm watching it and you know, kind of rolling my eyes at a few of the plot contrivances. I also then was struck by a couple other things that happened that a different show wouldn't know it was smart to have happen. So I'm still kind of on the fence on that one. Um, and Kath has a review up at the website as well for, for Grimm. And then we had, uh, of course, Once Upon a Time is on Sunday, True North, um, there were some really terrible CGI this week. Um, it was a Hansel and Gretel story. And I think my enjoyment of Once Upon a Time has... I think I figured out that it comes down to which characters are spotlit. So uh, if this week there was a lot of Emma and the Queen, the evil Queen. And whenever they get a lot of the time in the story, I'm not very interested but next week it's going to be Snow White and Prince Charming, and I anticipate liking that one a lot more because I'm far more invested in those characters. So it's Once Upon a Time has become a very hit-or-miss show for me. Um, but Emma Caulfield, Anya from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, was in this episode as the, the Hansel and Gretel's evil witch, and she was good in her very brief time, so that's something, I suppose. And then finally, The Fall of Reichenbach... Um, aired which was the finale of Sherlock I'm not going to say very much about it because we are going to cover it later but hey it was really good so yay Sherlock has has finished its three week season uh, as unfortunate as that is but it's all it's all gold and I think I would take three episodes a year of fantastic storytelling over 20 episodes of mediocre so you know at least what we get is good I'm just amazed that Moffat said that so with such confidence that they're doing a third season, considering how busy everyone involved is. Yeah, I, I suppose that is a significant thing. But I know that, for example, Martin Freeman had put into his Hobbit contract that they needed to let he need he was going to do Sherlock, so they needed to work his schedule around his availability being you know being open to do Sherlock. So when you just used the term Hobbit contract. I was picturing something much more fanciful than I'm sure it actually was. <laughs> Quills and scrolls and all and that. And woodwinds. Definitely woodwinds. <laughs> Good times. Um, but that wraps up the the TV that I caught that you didn't. So let's go into our week in TV. And please start talking because I'm getting tired here. Okay, now, fair I, enough. Wednesday, are you there, Chelsea? What did you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this sucked. Um, we, we have a, a, a couple of poor poor comedy pilots to talk about this week of the at least two uh this one was the better but not by much and i i my my mile marker for this stuff this week was does it basically because i know i'm not gonna laugh it's not gonna happen it's just not in the cards but does it feel like it's taking me an eternity to get from the minute mark to the 22 minute mark <laughs> and this didn't feel like an eternity although it did feel like at least an hour 
Um, it, it's pretty charmless. I mean, Laura Preppen's character, I, I, I like her, but she's just so unlikable. And does, I mean, despite the desperate attempt to make her likable near the end of the episode by having her stare at a baby for a long time. Uh, I actually like Chelsea Handler on the show, but she's straight jacketed into this very serious character who doesn't get to be funny, which seems counterintuitive. Um, it's just a, there's a lot about this that didn't work for me. Yeah, the thing for me about Are You There, Chelsea is while it's not good. I can see a good show hiding in there, if that makes sense. If they, uh, well, first of all, why would someone, I mean, ever since Arrested Development did it correctly, people have been using, I guess, thought it's okay to use voiceover in comedies. And it's not. It's not good. It's not funny. I like Suburgatory, and it isn't even good on Suburgatory. So that's a big mistake with the pilot. But I do think that there is the potential for a good show with some of these elements, like sort of how I, I would not say it's anywhere near as good as the Parks and Rec pilot, but in the Parks and Rec pilot, there were a lot of problems, but you could see that there was a good show kind of hiding in there somewhere. Like so, a hobbit in a hobbit hole. No, they don't hide in their <laughs> hobbit. Sorry, you're not going to, you're not going to get it out of me. I'm too big of a Tolkien fan Fair for, enough. for that, but no, I, 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 I see what you're saying. But for for me, like I, the way I twist those words around in my head is this would be a good show if it were a different show. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I do like several members of the cast. I think Laura Prepon is good, and I think she she does have the right charisma for that character. You can see it in a few scenes how how even that character could work, but they're just she's just straddled into this terrible script. Um, so we'll see if it mm-hmm. figures itself out or not, but. Yeah. Also, it's it's working with that, with a variant of that two broke girls variety of risque but not actually funny jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is very dispiriting. Yeah. But uh, uh, I I think feel like we could talk about this for longer, but we have such a packed show. Let's move on to Suburgatory. Um, out in the burbs. What did you uh, think of this one? Hey, guess what? I'm breaking up with Suburgatory this week. Oh, oh! surprises. Uh, yeah, this one didn't do much for me. Ever since the pilot of Suburgatory, which I thought was quite solid and promising, I've been kind of waiting for it to take a step up, and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that hasn't happened, and if anything, I think it's degraded a bit, and this was probably my least favorite episode. I didn't really care for the developments between the Jeremy Sisto and Cheryl Hines character. I didn't care for the stuff in, in school either, uh, you know, with the sort of 21 Jump Street-style narc operation, um... Yeah, did my and even my goodwill for Allie Grant is not really enough to get me through. So goodbye, Suburgatory. You're not doing enough for me. Oh, that's a bold move, sir, and I applaud it. Though I actually enjoyed this episode. Um, it sounds like a lot more than you did. I think a lot of it probably has to do with my uh, fondness for Dan Bird. Um, I liked him in Alien, in Aliens in America. Um, however, briefly that was on, and I also. I, I think he's so much fun on Cougar Town. So that probably really helped my enjoyment of the episode because every time there he was go. doing his thing, it really I, I enjoyed that storyline. Um, I also, I actually really liked the development we got between um, Cheryl Hens and, and Jeremy Sisto because it was nice to see Dallas say that, that her kissing him was not about him, but it was about her. And that's something that I don't think is, uh, is shown enough on television. Um, so... 
I liked that. I mean, we'll see if they undo it in the future, which I have a feeling they might. But for now, it was nice to, to see that, that sort of a take on it. I wasn't very pleased with uh, his reaction of sort of quasi-disappointment. I'm not very interested in them as a couple, but I, I, I like the honesty to her reaction. Mm-hmm. So you're staying on, I take it. I'm staying on for now. We'll see. The thing is, we have some more, uh, assumedly, if it lists up to last season's show episodes, uh, good TV coming on. So that's going to whittle down my number of TV hours to spend on mm-hmm. mediocre shows. So for now, I'm still on board, but I, I understand your 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 television breakup, <laughs> as it yeah. were. Yeah, it's, it's going to start getting real real soon, basically. Yeah. Speaking of television breakups, Top Chef Texas. Uh, oh. I'm not. I'm not breaking up with it, but I want to so bad. <laughs> what did you think of Restaurant Wars? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I have the same urge to bring. I mean, the basic format and experience of Top Chef I always find at least diverting, but this is definitely not feeling like a strong season to me. Um, I mean, this is Restaurant Wars, which they they hype up themselves quite a lot, and I think by their own standards. Uh, that they've you know set for us this was not particularly great i think you complain a lot about the editing and i think it was especially jarring this week uh especially on the judges side i think uh, for instance when uh, Clicchio and company are enjoying canteen uh they're you know they think they actually did quite a good job for having put together a restaurant in five hours and they're very positive and then when it comes to the judges table they're vicious and it's incredibly jarring and not in an entertaining way it's in a distracting way yeah i don't know how much of that is the editing's fault and how much of that is is are the judges fault colicchio and and them because it there's such a night and day difference between what they say at the in the restaurant and what they say at judges table it's not that's not something that can be sweetened and edited around no it seems pretty good everything was terrible you all deserve to go home that's not an exaggeration of what they say. There should have been an awareness of that is in the editing room is is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, like they should have known, okay, well, you said this before. So now if you're super vicious, which you may want to be, it's going to look like you're dumb. Yeah. I just, it, you know, and it's been a, a something that it's been frustrating over the course of the season, but I was just constantly attributing it to the editing. But I feel like it might also be them, the judges wanting to be more extreme or something for ratings or i don't know but it definitely um soured me on the judging panel this week i will Mm -hmm. say i'm calling bev going to the finals now she's just been the most consistent so i i would uh uh, i i would be surprised if she didn't make it to the finals and i'm looking forward to next week's charlie's theron episode which is the first one in a while that looks fun i love her And she looks like she's going to be very entertaining in it, even if no one else is. And it says something about the season that when you say Bev, I still don't remember who you're talking about. She's the the one who likes to cry. Oh, yes, right. Okay. Yeah, she she probably is, unfortunately. And you've also been keeping tabs on the Last Chance Kitchen thing? Yes, I did check into that this week, and I'm actually really glad I did, uh, because Naisha has been rocking it. And to remind people who don't remember who she is, she's the African-American chef who got eliminated when uh, in the team challenge with Dakota, because Dakota messed up the venison. And the rest of the plate was... was excellent but the venison was terrible so she got kicked off so she's been she's won i think four in a row four weeks in a row and so 
she has just been she's just stone cold awesome <laughs> and so it's been a lot of fun to watch plus they're eight episodes or eight minutes long and that helps but right now she ha if she beats three more people she's back in the running and so i'm really rooting for that i care way more about her story now than anything else going on in top chef so mm -hmm. i i think i'm gonna actually keep uh keep watching that and I'll, if she gets eliminated I'm gonna be kind of pissed because I really think she deserves to be on the show and the other people so many of the other people don't so mm -hmm. uh yeah it would be interesting to see if, if she came on and actually won which I think would be a bit of a dilemma for them considering it would, would mm -hmm. kind of undermine the people that we did spend time with mm -hmm. uh speaking of things that we do and do not care about undermining Rob. things we spent time with <laughs> Rob. yeah um not uh... not funny not good um, apparently it got big ratings, uh, so there's that, but, uh, it wasn't the horror show that Work It was, um, but it's just very on the nose, obvious, and so, somewhat painful to watch, particularly I thought Cheech Marin did the best he could with what he was given, but when what you're given is this just horror, like, terrible, obvious, uh, uh, comedy, I don't know what you know what you're supposed to do with it so you know the operative term for this for me is lame mm -hmm. like when you hear the setup of oh rob schneider has this hot new wife which uh and you know she's got a mexican family you're like oh boy this is gonna get really racist really fast and you know it does but you mostly just notice how unfunny it is more than anything else because mm -hmm. to notice anything else implies that it's more interesting than it is yeah I think that's about all we have to say about Rob. Not good. Yep. Let's move on to yeah. to uh, Thirty Rock. And what do you think of their premiere? Uh, yes. Uh, now, as a disclaimer, I didn't actually see most of the last season of Thirty Rock, so there's a couple of plot points hanging around that I don't really know what the status of them was before. But I've seen a I've seen probably collected about three seasons of Thirty Rock, so I wasn't totally lost. Uh, this didn't do much for me. I have to say, uh, my main sticking point is the Jack McBrayer character, who I don't remember in some of the earlier episodes I watched being quite so one note. And here, you know, he's, he's got this apocalyptic prophecy and everyone makes fun of him until they don't. And it's it's not funny and it feels very played out even before it happens. Uh, the rest of it was not as flat as that, but still not many laughs and I didn't feel too engaged i mean it was a pleasant watch but nothing mind-blowing at all yeah i just i didn't laugh watching it and when i watched 30 rock i expect to laugh you know when you have that many talented funny people working on a show i should laugh it should be something that is worthy of prompting a laugh and that didn't happen this week i'm intrigued with the notion of liz having a secret boyfriend uh who is in being you know seeing cartoon birds and such that that sounds like that could be interesting or fun but it just wasn't funny and especially when you put it up to parks and rec which i thought was much better to transition uh they need to do better or i would i would not have a problem breaking up with 30 rock mm -hmm. well I, I like the idea that they know that they've done because I, I may not have seen everything but i know that they've done the liz lemon and her horrible boyfriends thing way way too often mm-hmm and, you know, the, the idea that they're going to do something different with her and with the dynamic between her and Baldwin is smart. So I, I'll, I'll be curious to see where that goes. But yes, Parks and Rec, with a weirdly divisive return back, I've heard 
people who hated this episode. I've heard people who loved this episode. Personally, I thought it was pretty good. I was I was quite happy with it. I mean, obviously, it was a 22-minute that basically it's, it's, it's as if they sat down and, and said, okay, we have 22 minutes. How can we get Ben to be the campaign manager? And on that basis, I, th- I think it worked. Uh, the big sort of comic set piece with the ice rink, I think, could have been awful and unfunny. And I think they found just the right rhythm for it, where it's, you know, goes from, you know, funny, unfunny, back to funny, maybe back to unfunny, and then finally funny. <laughs> and it, it, which is really hard to do. And that's a matter of, you know, getting the, the blocking right in the edit. It's a really tricky, it's, it's probably one of the trickiest sequences of any show we saw this week, weirdly enough. And it worked. And lots of uh, great stuff from Chris Pratt, especially this week. And who's, you know, his comic, his reactions to stuff are just always golden. Three-legged dog can't hurt. Uh, I'm I'm back on board, for sure. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun, actually. And, you know, I I like that the A-plot and B-plot being so separate, that they both really worked very well, I thought. So (laughs) seeing the, the return of the Calzones was nice and then the 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 stop motion uh claymation thing love that i loved requiem for a tuesday yeah fabulous and and just so much fun to to see to see that chris really does know ben that well yeah it's easy to forget that they have worked together for years and years before even showing up in pawnee so i really appreciated that and, and um, it was it was also nice to see Chris actually have to be negative about some stuff mm-hmm. with regards to Ben and his depression and his claymation and his calzones. Um, <laughs> as much as I actually thought, I think it's, I think the calzone thing is a little played out, but I like I said, I think the claymation thing was great. Um, but yeah, I think it's always nice to see that Chris is not a one note character; that he does have he's he does have some layering that comes out every once in a while. Uh, as as good as, you know, Rob Lowe is at that one note that we see so often. Yeah. I do think they need to start doing more development with Ben, though. He feels like a completely different character than how he started out. And I don't know if that's natural growth or just they've abandoned those traits that were that were part of his character in the first and, and second, uh, beginning of the second season that he was on. So he was on, I should say, second and third seasons um so i i do think that 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 he's could be a bit of a a, of a dimensionality problem but um it was such a funny subplot that it really worked for me of course having champion the three-legged dog who's great at everything except for digging was uh was pretty pretty fun and uh that just like you're saying that set piece at the rink just getting there was worth every every moment we spent until that until that uh, last bit and capped with the dunk was just, it was, it was great. And I would like our listeners to weigh in on whether or not the Iwo Jima resemblance was deliberate or just a weird serendipitous accident. Yes. There's this one shot while they're all, uh, they're helping. I I believe it's when they're helping Pete stand back up, right? That is um, similar to the Iwo Jima memorial of raising the flag so so yeah let us know what you think about that i'm still on yeah. the fence so yeah because i don't know sure. if it would if it was community i would assume it right away but mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't seem like a very parks and rec gag but who knows I don't know. now on friday we had fringe back to where you've never been and this was of course the episode written by david fury that was supposed to end 
the season uh, in the fall, and and and, as, and now it's starting off the uh, the um, second half, I should say, or the after the hiatus break. Now I'm curious what you thought of this episode, and I'm also curious if because a lot of a lot happens this episode, if that would have affected your opinion on Fringe in 2011, if this had aired where it was originally supposed to. Well, you know, I don't think so because a lot happens and it's a solid episode, but no fireworks really. Uh, I mean, what's nice about this is, you know, they get David Fury on and it's almost, it, 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 it's very self-consciously, you know, with getting him on, it's like, okay, we're getting out the big guns because we're going to advance the master plot. And I think in that respect, it works. There weren't really any developments that I was super unhappy with. And I think the prospect of Lance Reddick getting something different to do is a good one. Yeah. Um, just as a brief plot synopsis, I always intend for us to have some plot synopsis to remind people what these episodes actually were, and then I forget. But this week it was uh, Peter trans going into the other universe to try to get Walternet to to help him repair the machine so he can, back can get back to his timeline, or however you want to phrase it. Um, for me, I, I do agree that having a potential shapeshifter Broyles is very interesting and would be it would be nice to get let him show his range uh the actor that is and uh the but the main the main takeaway for me was that the music was really over the top this week um particularly in the early scene between Peter and Walter um but I did really enjoy the alternate universe stuff and um it was just fun to watch this because I watched it with my sister who has never seen any fringe and so just there was a lot of it's a long story um, yeah. this person, <laughs> this is his baby mama, but he doesn't know about it. But in this universe, she isn't that kind of stuff. So right. it was, uh, it, it was, that was an entertaining thing. And it's just, for me, it's nice to have interesting sci-fi back on the air. Yeah. And I, and also if, if someone says, oh, so that's this person from before, except it's the alternate universe. And you're like, well, kind of, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of interesting sci-fi, uh, The Fades premiered on BBC America on Saturday, and this is a very a genre, maybe not sci-fi, um, actually definitely not sci-fi, more fantasy than um, than 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 sci-fi. But this is one that I know Ricky from the website absolutely loved last year and is very excited, very excited about. So, what did you think of the pilot? I really dug this. I would describe this as fantasy horror with a little comedy thrown in there uh it's it's quite generous with uh, each sort of part of that equation uh, there's quite a bit of the pilot that's quite funny and but it doesn't skimp on the sort of more fantastical or more horrific elements at all uh you know and to the degree you know obviously it being a bbc show they've got a little bit more freedom and it does get quite graphic at times uh, I really like the teenage protagonists a lot. I think they're very charming. I think the way that they introduce the the way the characters relate to each other in terms of, you know, the one adult character being the kid's teacher and all the stuff is clever and casual. And it, the the apocalyptic visions are a little on the generic side, but I think they're effectively rendered and effectively creepy. I'm really curious to see whether in this six episode uh, first season, and I don't, I don't know that there's been an announcement of a second season. Uh, maybe there has. I'll be very curious to see if they can get somewhere of serious, important consequence with these visions. 
because uh, that's the main thing that concerns me about it. But definitely a very fun pilot. Yeah, this was one that uh, I watched while I was, shall we say, rather severely multitasking, <laughs> as I often am when I'm watching some of these different shows, you know, writing notes, but also checking Twitter and some of this other stuff. And it sucked me in. I, you know, I didn't close the computer, but I put it to the side to because to, I was very engaged by this pilot. And I think it is actually um, part of part of that is because I know there's only six episodes. So I think I'm more optimistic about the show than maybe I would be if it was uh, on, shall we say, Fox and it was going to have 20 episodes or something like that. Because I feel like then it would easily turn into a uh, a reset the wheel sort of sort of storyline. But with only six, I feel like they're probably going to progress things pretty drastically every week. And I think that could be really interesting. I love the premise, this quasi... Uh, religious aspect to it of um, angelics versus fades. Um, I think that could be really interesting. And I, I like the cast. Like you said, the protagonist is very, uh, inter is very entertaining. And just, <laughs> I got a, a, a message from you saying, uh, are you a ghostbuster? I'm in. And I think that's uh, a, a good way to sort of sum up the show. It, you know, it has this apocalyptic, stakes to it but it also has ghostbuster jokes so but but yeah more than anything it's like i said earlier it's just nice to have interesting genre uh fiction going mm -hmm. on right now yep now pretty can... pretty stoked about that oh and also very solid for the most part visual effects and cool score i thought mm -hmm. yep if mixed a little high at times um next up is on pilots we didn't like so very much i'm assuming uh napoleon dynamite on Fox, the animated series, about which I have incredibly little to say. Uh, unlike you, I believe I have seen the film. It's about, what, eight or nine years old now? This, to me, is the saddest and most random uh, sort of pickup of an old idea, uh, reappropriated into a new form. It wasn't quite as bad as I was fearing it would be, just because they were, they were willing to change the universe of the film a bit i mean the film is basically uh dumber wes anderson and this sort of goes in a more surreal direction which is smart but unfortunately it's not funny yeah it wasn't funny to me but i it was much better than i expected and I, it was pretty much the show i expected but i, I kind of expected it to be a lot more painful than it it actually is i have a feeling people who like the movie will probably like the show and i, I assume that's what they're going for and the I think the biggest help to this pilot is the fact that it's at least to me it's a lot better than all the other comedy pilots we've gotten recently. I mean, what, what do you think about about that comparison? Uh, it's definitely better than, and it, it's it's actually and and I think I will allow that it's a better pilot than Alan Gregory was, mm. uh, which I I thought that was that was painful. This is this I'm just sort of incredibly indifferent too and it's definitely better than the live action pilots we've gotten over the last couple of weeks so yeah i, yeah. I can i can get behind that even if i have roughly minus five percent interest yeah i'm not gonna watch more of it but you know it could be worse which it I could guess be is worse something yeah. <laughs> all right uh, next up speaking of uh something that has absolutely nothing to do with what we were previously talking about downton abbey which yes. despite being the most praised show in the universe was not actually my favorite British thing that I watched this week. That goes to the fades. 
This, um, I mean, it's Downton Abbey. It's solid. It's entertaining, but it features some developments that I was really not happy with. The whole thing about uh, Matthew's new fiance being connected to Mary's possible fiance in some negative way, which you know is going to be contrivance to eventually get her out of the picture. Really, really, really didn't like that. It was a huge, uh, it stuck in my craw and maybe colored the episode a bit for me. Because really, other than that, it was fine. But oh. I don't know, do you agree that that was an annoying contrivance? Oh, I'm assuming that's actually going to be a reason to get him out of the way more than anything else, because it's going to come out that he's an asshole um, through his interactions with her. But we'll see what happens. It does, you know, feel rather convenient, though. I, you know, at least there was some uh, lead up to their off screen confrontation. But uh, yeah, I am not particularly interested in that, though. I do. I, I had heard someone else. I don't remember where talk about how it was nice that they had some uh, realistic and actual potential other love interests so they these do feel like it feels like these are people they could actually end up with though not in what the show is going to be i one assumes since given its soap opera like nature of more uh, idealized romanticism but it they do feel like legitimate um partners for these characters so I thought that was something. In what sense do you mean that, though? Like, they seem realistic, or you think the show will actually ever go in that direction? Um, I, I feel like if this were a documentary or something, the you could... the the Mary would marry somebody like that, who is lower class, but had a lot of money and had peerage, uh, or, or was in the peerage, or on his way to the peerage. I don't remember exactly what that was. Um, and Matthew feels very much, uh, I don't remember her name, maybe not Lady Isabel. Um, anyways, his, his fiance feels like someone that he would marry. Swire, uh, Miss Swire. Yeah. So that, that, that's what I mean. They do feel like if, if it weren't for the one assumes Matthew and Mary will get back together at some point thing. I could see each of them legitimately mm -hmm. marrying these people. For me, though, right. I I just I wasn't very happy with what we got with Thomas. It, it wasn't uh, interesting to me. <laughs> this is another one I was watching with my sister, and I kept having to tell her that Thomas is an asshole because uh, watching the episode, she's like, "Really? He doesn't he doesn't seem too bad." I'm like, "No, trust me, he's a total asshole," and that was frustrating to me because it felt like such an about face sort of for the I don't know it was it was a strange mm -hmm. Thomas episode for me and I uh while I did feel bad for Mosley uh I I was missing Bates this week yeah uh, well and, and I that works because you're supposed to miss him uh but I think what I'm missing so far are like the oh snap moments of plot movement mm -hmm. where where you know something Really, now maybe it doesn't get your jaw dropping, but at least it it engages you on a on a sort of visceral level that's just innately satisfying. I mean, the development that they're going to start taking the wounded at Downton Abbey is something you see coming from minute five of episode one, so it doesn't really have that that wow factor to it. I mean, it's it's interesting, but so far there's nothing this season that I'm like really eager to see where it's going, and I think that's sort of where it hasn't been quite as good as season one so far. But we'll see. I liked what we got with O'Brien and um, the new valet who has shell shock. I thought that was interesting and um, was a nice way of, of shading her character a bit more, kind of rounding her out mm -hmm. without it feeling too contrived. Um, but we'll see. I mean, then we'll see what happens with Edith. Uh, I don't know if I like that, that 
line yet, but um, I don't know. I still think it has the potential to be just as good as season one, but I think it's more of a long, longer burn. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But they don't have too long to burn. Keep in mind. No, that's true. That's true. But on, on Monday, uh, we had the pilot to Alcatraz, which uh, anybody who follows us on Twitter will know. Uh, the Senate people that is when they Ricky hated this and thought it was terrible. Um, what did you think of Alcatraz? Uh, well, I this was the fringe pilot. This this is the fringe pilot. I mean, I know that you know it. They've got basically the lost font and the lost score, and it's on an island. But I just couldn't get over how similar it was to the fringe pilot, except not you know with a slightly less interesting to me premise. I mean, you've got this you know, pretty female detective, uh, you know, getting, losing her partner and then getting drafted into this secret, you know, organization that's based around this, you know, uh, sort of sci-fi conundrum. I don't know. Do you see where I'm going with this? Um, I just, I, it's nowhere near as good as the fringe pilot is the thing for me. Like there are certain similarities, but they're very few of them for me like the the plane set piece we get in the fringe pilot is fantastic and we get nothing like that here and the character uh, don't get me wrong i love jorge garcia but comic book writer really that's your your side character as compared to the bishops who are far more interesting and developed well and the the thing is i i to me jorge garcia is the best thing about the pilot because He's he's you know he's an innately charming guy to watch, mm-hmm. and he's got a lot more personality than Sarah Jones at least. And that's another thing to compare it to Fringe, which is that she's kind of not that interesting, and I don't think um, I don't think Anna Torv was either at first. Mm-hmm. But but his character reeks so much of fan service that it kind of it's kind of also one of the weak points of the pilot. Yeah, I would like to see him in a different role, but still. And yeah. I, because I, I, I very much enjoy him as as a performer and a TV presence, mm-hmm. um, but I def I'm not gonna check it out after this. Yeah. I, I and, watched oh, the first two episodes because I mistakenly thought it was a two hour pilot as opposed to just two episodes, um, and even mm-hmm. the the twist in the end of the second episode was not interesting to me at all. So I'm yeah. not checking back in. Yeah, I was happy to see Robert Forster, who mm-hmm. uh, doesn't get enough work and. You know, some some nice little things here and there, but yeah, and useless opening narration and just generally a lot futzier than it needs to be. Not not terribly interested. I'll be curious to see if it picks up uh, a huge viewership or really yeah. starts to deepen its universe, but I don't really see that coming. Oh, and I will say that the um, the flashbacks really don't work for me. I think they're by far the weakest part of the show and they should be cut. But uh, weakest, the weakest part of the show for me was the opening rooftop chase with the partner falling off. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, I've seen that scene a dozen times. I swear to God. Yeah, it's not great. It's this total dialogue no cliche. Lost. This is no alias. The Abrams pilot magic has clearly been lost, I would say. Um, but let's move on to How I Met Your Mother and 46 Minutes. And if there were ever a week to get me to break up with How I Met Your Mother, it's this one. Unfortunately, I put, what, six years into the show, so I don't think I'm quitting, but I really didn't like this episode. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. It wasn't uh, particularly good. I mean, it had a lot of things that probably sounded great on paper and didn't have much impact. I mean, 
Night Vision Marshall, great. Lots of Chris Elliott, great. Tons and tons of gimmicks, including not one but two alternate intros, great. But it just it felt like a whole lot of pageantry for a pretty, you know, pretty slender in terms of concept episode that d- didn't have too many laughs. I, I agree, it was not uh, a, a particularly strong outing. Uh, as as much as I like maybe individually some of those ideas, it felt like it was relying really, really hard on the Neil Patrick Harris charm machine more than usual, and it wasn't really working for me this week. Well, and it's not just that. the They had not one but two remade opening credits, and neither of them were entertaining to me. I might have gotten a chuckle out of the first one, but I didn't laugh this week again. And uh, I, I'm curious who thought this would make a good episode or who thought it was good when they were putting it together. Because, first of all, can we just stop pretending that Robin and Kevin are going to work out? Because yeah. that's yeah. just utterly tiresome. And that whole story, they've been together for a long time now, at least compared to the other relationships on the show. So pretending that they're still in the phase where they're, you know, trying to be cool and not being honest about their likes and dislikes felt incredibly false and they the Marshall stuff wasn't funny to me uh the the concept I could see that maybe being funny but it that's a one joke gag that's not a half the episode subplot no and I, I got uh, a couple of chuckles out of Chris Elliott being a dick but you know not yeah much. but except that we're supposed to then want then be happy when she tells him to stay but he's been such an yeah, asshole yeah, yeah. that I don't want him to stay I yeah. don't care um and Stripper Lily was funny the first time because it was a sight gag. Mm-hmm. And this time, no, not funny. Too too long, too much of the... Yeah, it was just... It wasn't funny. Yeah, the rehashing of old jokes needs to stop. It, it, if I were in that writer's room, honestly, the angle I would take with, with Kevin if they do need to keep uh, Cal Penn around is, you know, acknowledge that he's a walking casualty and you know, make and make the humor be about that because that could be an interesting angle. Yeah, but... Future Ted knows that they don't get together; they don't end up together. Why isn't Future Ted commented on this? Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I I have the same reservations as you, and I can really kind of take it or leave it at this point. If you were to stop, I would probably stop. It's sort of like their relationship on the show. You know, it's like. <laughs> uh, if you want to go, I'll go, but I'm not sure. Which, that one, that was funny the first time, and then, once again, not funny by the fifth time. Yeah, not even funny by the time Cal Penn was thinking, but you said so a long time. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, we'll see. I, especially, like, with Archer back on the air, and some of these other, sh- there's a lot better comedy out there, and it's become a chore for me to watch it. So we'll see how long I stick with it, unless there's mm-hmm. this severe uptick. Quality. All right. But to not end on a sour note, at least for me, we... Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that that pun was coming there. We had Ouch. the Smash Pilot. <laughs> which <laughs> is now up on iTunes for free, so you guys can check it out early if you would like. It's going to be premiering on February 6th, which is, what, like three weeks from now or some such. Um, and listeners will know that I have been naysaying the crap out of this show based on what I've seen about it, so... I was as surprised as any to really enjoy this pilot. I thought it was great. Um, not Maybe not great, but very strong. What did you think of the Smash pilot? Yeah, I'm in exactly the same boat as you. And what's 
Although what's funny is the I think the principal thing about the show that made you trepidatious was the audition sequence, which features the Christina Aguilera song, which mm-hmm. is to me by far the weakest part of the pilot. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's and it's especially glaring because it's meant to be this big triumphant moment that they're clearly wanting us to be really engaged in. And I think the fact that that falls flat is not good. On the other hand, what besides that, it's almost all original music, which is great. The original music is really good, which is also great. Uh, we got a really good cast. I think the the weakness of that of that one sequence points to a greater weakness in the show, which maybe they'll address and maybe they won't. Which is that to me, Megan Hilty's character is obviously the better choice between her and Catherine McPhee, who is you know a strong singer but to me isn't singing in a way that I would ever think to cast for a Marilyn Monroe character. I don't know. Am I totally off on a limb here? No, I don't think so. But I do think they did a good job of, of capturing that this musical is not just about Marilyn. It's about how she became the icon that she was and how in, According to at least most of the information I've read about her over the years, she was a very insecure person, and she was, um, she she was very timid and and shy almost, uh, particularly when she was starting out. So there was a lot of uh, Marilyn was a character, and Norma Jean was very different from her. So I could see how Catherine McPhee would be a good, or that character at least would be a good casting for Norma Jean as compared to the uh, Ivy character. Um, but Ivy seems like a much better Marilyn. So I absolutely see, see what you're saying. And I think it's a definite strength of the series that, that, that either one of them would be an interesting choice for the series to go. Not necessarily the, uh, the show within a show, but that either one of them would be narratively interesting for the series as it continues. Mm-hmm. I do wonder... Because they make so much progress on the musical in this one episode. Uh, first of all, I wonder, there's got to be, they're going to have to cut down on the number of original numbers per episode, clearly. Because there's, what, like four of them in this episode? Yeah, there's something and they've got like a fi- that. And they've got a 15-episode season. So unless they're going to write 60 original songs, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> it's not, which maybe they will, and they're just going to start to get really, really shitty. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, the, like I said, the, the original songs are quite good. I like Deborah Messing a lot as the I thought writer, she was great. Yeah. As the, as the, the penner of the, of the, the of the book. The lyricist. Yes. Uh, if you want to be, if you want to use real words. Um, <laughs> uh, I also like Jack Davenport quite a bit, although I'm hoping that I'd like to see that character get a bit more shading other than talented prick, but maybe that'll be enough to coast on for a while. Uh, yeah, and Angelica Houston's in there, and she's always good to see. I was also happy to see uh, a Michael Christopher, who I, who's maybe best known, and I'm using that very loosely, as a Truxton Spangler on Rubicon, here just playing, once again, an utter prick. And I, from the preview, it's looking like he's going to be in it quite a bit, which I'm quite happy about. Uh, yeah, definitely a strong pilot, stronger than I was expecting. And I know Glee for adults is kind of insulting, but that definitely seems like it's where they're heading. Well, and the thing is, for me, it's not Glee for Adults because it's not all about the music. It's about the characters. And the music is, you know, it's part of what's bringing them together as in, you know, it's about their involvement in the show. 
but it's not the same sort of situation where, like, Glee, if you took the music out, the show would be very different. Um, well, yeah. a lot of the show feels like an excuse to get them to sing something, and that's not the case here. So, I, yeah, I, I, was, yeah. I thought it was very strong, much more diverse cast, more interesting cast of characters than any of the, the promos are making it seem. So I'm going to check it out. Yep, for sure. Now let's. Uh, that wraps up our week in TV. Uh, finally, after uh, quite a number of shows this <laughs> week, so we're going to take a quick break, listen to some music, and come back with our spotlight show of the week, which is again the Good Wife. And the episode was Bitcoin for Dummies. So we'll be right back after this. <laughs> That was Magic Arrow by Timber Tamber, which was used on this week's episode of The Good Wife to both open and close the episode. And I'm just going to pause for a moment here. Timber Tamber is an awesome name for a band. And the song is really cool anyways, but that just made me very happy to, to see mm -hmm. that when I was looking Yeah, it, it, it was also used, I don't know if you'll remember, but in the scene when in Breaking Bad, when Walt is sort of looking for bugs in his house. Uh, when he meets Mike. Anyway, mm. it was he's in Breaking Bad also. Good song. Great band. Yep. Uh, yeah, Good Wife, Kicking Ass again. Yep. Taking Bitcoin names. for Dummies. Uh, so, the, you know, anytime you watch, we, you know, The Good Wife comes on and I, you can see Carrie Preston in the, the guest star cast at the beginning when the, the names are scrolling through. You, you know, at least that's going to be good. Uh, Anika Noni Rose is, means it's probably going to be good. And then Bob Balaban comes up and I just had a little smile on my face because I knew this was going to be a good episode. Um, so what particularly worked for you this week? Well, first of all, Jason Biggs turning up in the beginning, and he's so straight-faced that I it was like an optical illusion. And he's great in this. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never seen him play it this straight. With He barely cracks a smile the whole time, although he does have a little smirk. Uh, he's mischievous and effective. Obviously, Bob Balaban showing up again is great fun. Jim Cramer turns up in a weird little cameo that also works. Judge is Michael Lerner, who is so much fun. Yeah. And uh, But my maybe my favorite thing this week, although it's not mind-blowing or anything, is we kind of got some old-school ass-kicking Kalinda this week, courtesy of Archie Punjabi and the script. Uh, not too much sort of, you know, pussyfooting about with you know, who is she attracted to and all this junk. They totally ditched that this week for just old school detective work and her breaking the rules in a fun and exciting way. Uh, that was great to see. Yeah, it was It was a very well-balanced episode. And, you know, it's something of note, I think, that and an episode that had almost no uh, Matsukri, and I know we've been a big fan of his on the show, and no Chris Noth, and very little of... Uh, of many of the our most entertaining characters, no Eli, no yeah. Lean. It's still a great episode, and that shows you just how big of a stable of characters they have to go with, and and just how creative they are with using these people. So I mean, that you know that was a 
great great fun to watch Kalinda do her thing. I had a lot of fun with Zach and his girlfriend and yeah. <laughs> playing uh, his mom and grandma off of each other in a highly entertaining way. And I just want to throw some love to Mary Beth Pell, who's Jackie, who is just fantastic. She makes it so fun, much fun to hate Jackie. Um, and just it hits just the perfect note with that character. Um, so between that and then all of the, the great comedy with Judge Sobel and and Bob Balaban, again, the, I was waiting for a cupcake reference, but maybe it's, it's probably better that they didn't go there. Um, mm-hmm. But And speaking of cupcakes, yeah. Carrie Preston. I love her so which... much. <laughs> I, I I like I said last week it's it seems like she's she's in her own really fun little show within the good wife Ellie McBeal uh, when she's acting as title suggested uh, yeah, by Ellie one of McBeal, my yeah. but I think it was Ken one of the Twitter followers yeah uh, she's now defending of course um uh Gardner mm-hmm. and uh, that that those scenes are very effective and I, seeing her and Anika Noni Rose square off is just a delight uh, I don't know. They're 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 really just firing on all cylinders lately. I mean, it's we've seen them do even better than this, but I'm not sure this sort of last run of episodes has been so crazy consistent. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it'll be. I'll be very curious to see if this gets unseated next week. Well, and it's nice just to have you know. Yes, it's only two weeks in a row. Granted, it's only been back for two weeks, but they've started using some really memorable music. And I love that because that's something that they haven't really done very frequently. I remember back with um, Dylan Baker's most recent episode, they had that <laughs> rather memorable music in that scene and a couple others like that. But for the most part, they haven't really used music. So I really enjoyed how they've set the tone instantly uh, in, in the past couple of weeks with their with their music. First using the, you know, the, the Baroque or classical music with the Baccarini and this week, it you walk in it starts and it's a western um, yeah and that, that's fabulous because that's not something they've done before even when gary cole was on as his very you know cowboy kind of character so mm-hmm. just the the strut of the thing uh was so much fun yeah their their music supervision's definitely t- kicked up a notch this season yeah what did you think of the use of Bitcoin, which is a real thing and is actually really interesting to look into uh, for those who are curious? What did you think of the use of that? Because I know you've had some problems in the past with their their embracing of te- of new technology. Well, this to me, it wasn't so much about the technology as it was about here's how Good Wife does it when they do ripped from the headlines, which is something that, you know, especially shows like Law and & Order and their uh, you know, spinoffs were famous for. And the answer is they do it better. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I think, you know, will some of these storylines be dated in 10 years? Probably. But I thought that the sort of mystery involving who is who in terms of the uh, the masters of Bitcoin was uh, was clever and well executed. You know, not shocking or anything, but just, you know, sort of consistently entertaining. Um, yeah, I really had no issue with, with any aspect of that plot. Well, and I also, just the, the small touches of, of Kalinda goes to DakotaCon or whatever it is, and there are booth babes around, just made me happy. Just, like, tiny little little elements of texture to the background like that, I think, are just what makes this show so good. And that, that there's somebody who is who is there when they're, you know, designing the... Uh, the look of the con going, you know what? We should have some booth babes. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know, a sign of how smart and dedicated these, these people are. 
Yeah, I think that's called attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And they've got it. Yep, absolutely. Now we'll see when uh, Justified comes back tonight, if if it'll be able to unseat Good Wife, which has been on quite a roll. Um, but it's been it's been nice to ha- get to spend some time spotlighting the show. And I do, I really... I'm surprised by how few people that I know watch this show. I I know we've said it a million times before, but why don't more people watch The Good Wife? Well, no, lots of people watch The Good Wife. They're just all over 35. No, at least based on my my personal knowledge, my parents don't like the show. They don't like the character and they don't like the tone, at least the bits of it they've seen. And I can't seem to get them to sit down and watch more of it. Like, I don't, <laughs> everybody that I know who likes a good wife is young, is in like twenties, hmm. thirties. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's lucky for them that Margulies is, you know, an Emmy magnet and, uh, you know, the, the, that the show is at this point a prestige show. Otherwise I'm not sure I would be so confident in its future. I also know more men who like the series than women which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, maybe that's a discussion for a, another time, end of season. I have been toying with doing some uh, so, some analysis of, uh, of uh, viewership ratios of gender and age for a couple of these shows that are so consistent but somewhat under undervalued. So maybe that'll be an article down the line. I pick, I'm seeing graphs in our future. Yay, graphs. I love graphs so much. Uh, anyways, um, it's been it's been a pretty good week. We'll see next week. We have all the FX shows starting up and uh, some of these coming back. I know Supernatural's taking the week off, so that'll be a little easier on me, I suppose, on Fridays. But uh, but yeah, it it looks like we have some some good TV here to stay for a while. So yeah, and if you're if you're antsy about the fact that we that we do this on Tuesday mornings and Justified airs Tuesday night, I'm going to be writing weekly reviews. So they should be up uh, on the same day, probably. Uh, most likely, yeah, late uh, late Tuesday night. I don't have screeners, but I do work fast. So, um, let's see, a few show notes, of course, bef- uh, before I forget, intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles, um, and we have our Chicago meetup uh, that we're going to be doing when you come to visit, come out Old Chicago Way, and we're looking at going to see Mulholland Drive, which is showing at the Siskel Film Center on uh on february 21st which is a tuesday and then going to grab some drinks afterwards so if that sounds like fun and you're in the chicago area drop us a line send us an email um the televerse at gmail.com or leave a comment on the post the blog post at soundonsite.org and uh and and let us know it'd be we'd love to meet some of you guys and hang out and uh and uh and you know, talk some tv or maybe maybe some david lynch because uh, I know neither of you, you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, Mulholland Drive. It, it's the biggest hole in my Lynch uh, viewing, and I've been waiting for a theater screening, so this works perfectly. Yeah, so it should be fun. So so that's going on in February. Now let's see, we have uh, iTunes. It would be great to get some, some ratings. Uh, what Do you think Keith should try again? Because Keith submitted a, a review for us, and it still hasn't shown up a week later. Couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt, right? It would be great to get a few more reviews on iTunes. We have, of course, both the MP3 and the M4A feeds, though pretty much all the reviews are on, are on the M4A. Um, we're also up on Current and Mevio.com. So if you're not an iTunes person, like I know some of our listeners aren't, that's another way you can find us. And, yeah, just let us know. Of course, we're also on Twitter, um, the Televerse, or at the Televerse, that is, for me and for you, sir. I'm at Sucker Howell. With two L's. 
So we uh, we always love to talk with you guys. Particularly, I'm sure I will be tweeting a bunch about Vampire Diaries uh, as I continue my catch up. So uh, hopefully that won't dissuade you too much if you're not a fan. But it's uh, it's been fun to try to talk with a few of you guys about that. Um, and yeah, so let us know what uh, what you think. Now we're gonna take throw this to our DVD shelf with Mr. Dan Tolan from Bigger on the Inside, which is of course a fabulous Doctor Who podcast. Not up your uh, not up your alley, sir, uh, but a lot of fun for those of us who enjoy our Ponzi British television. Yes, I imagine. <laughs> now, before I throw to this, actually, I want to say just because in our lengthy discussion of Wonderfalls, I never mentioned I love the theme song to Wonderfalls. It's like the most catchy, amazing thing ever. So uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. So now as we transition into it, you guys can enjoy that. So please uh, enjoy our discussion with Anne about Wonderfalls. And we will be right back after this. Your sister is hot. He thinks your sister's hot. Sister? Wow. Make me a match. You can't talk. You don't have larynx. You don't have larynx. You can't talk, get it? You can't talk. Make Sharon and poor bit sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes poor bitch with a baby carriage. Sharon and poor bitch sitting in a tree. Sharon, Sharon, give me your answer true. I'm half crazy off of the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage. If I do this, will you shut up? I'll just a belt for two. Sharon, Sharon. Make me a match. We're bobbing along in our barrel. Some of us tip right over the edge. Televerse. This is Kate Kulzig, and I'm joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, talking Wonderfalls, we are pleased to welcome from Earth2.net and Bigger on the Inside, Mr. Dan Tolan. Dan, thanks for coming on the show. So, Wonderfalls. Now, what is it about the show that uh, that that made you want to talk about it? I know it's one that was just blipped and had about two or three episodes on the air and then sort of disappeared. So, what is it that caught your attention about this show? Yeah, I was a big fan for the what was it? I think four weeks that it was on. Asked like why it, it hooked me. I'm uh, I'm not entirely sure. It was like I mean it had like it's like I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm like oh look at all these amazing people that are working on it behind the scenes. But I don't think at the time I was really all that conscious of that. I think it just for some reason something about it just clicked with me. Um, it was one of those things where it's like you know 
oh, I'm watching this show about a girl who hears voices that tell her to do good things and that helps her to be a better person. And then people would, you know, immediately come back to me and say, oh, you're watching Joan of Arcadia. And uh, no, no, that's not the case. But it is, in fact, the exact same show that was on at the exact same time in the exact same time slot, as I recall. So uh, that's a big reason why this show didn't last, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> um, no, I just, I just, I loved it. I, I just, I just was a big, big fan. Although I was not shocked to see it go off the air, seeing as how it was on Fox on the Friday Night Death slot. Well, and as I recall, trying to watch it at the time, because I was familiar with uh, not Brian Fuller yet, uh, but Tim Minear, who was the showrunner for Wonder Falls, sure. Um, sure. from you know his relationship with Joss Whedon, working at Buffy and Angel and Firefly. Uh, so I was very interested in watching the show and followed its progress as it you know was originally going to air after like 24 or American Idol or something. It was going to be this big launch. And then that changed to the Friday Night Death Slot. And then as I mm. tried to watch it on the Friday Night Death Slot, it kept getting preempted for baseball and moved to different airing on different days of the week. So the fact that you were able to follow this when it was mm. on the air uh, shows a bit of a gargantuan effort. And I applaud you, sir, because I tried <laughs> and I failed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, so you're the reason it's off the air now. Apparently. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> now, Simon, uh, had you seen Wonderfalls before? You know, it's funny because I thought before that I had only seen a few episodes. I think what must have happened is I must have caught it on DVD right when the set came out and then forgotten I'd seen it. Because as I went through this whole 13-episode season, I kept wondering, when did I stop when did I stop seeing these? And when I got to the to the finale, I realized I had in fact seen all of it um, and just <laughs> forgot. So that was a little bit strange. Um, in terms of Brian Fuller's stuff, I've seen, I think, the entirety of Pushing Daisies, and I've now seen the entirety of Wonderfalls. I haven't seen Dead Like Me, so I don't know how to compare the two. Between the between the two shows that I've watched, Pushing uh, rather Wonderfalls is by far my preferred of the two. Mm-hmm. I think um, Pushing Daisies, I think, had I remember having a really great pilot and and starting off really great and then p- sort of tested the limits of my tolerance for tweeness. Mm. Uh, whereas I feel like Wonderfalls has, a, for me, the, the sensibility of it is a little easier to take. It's got a nice balance of sweetness and acid, you know, and sarcasm and risque humor and, you know, likable characters and this really interesting setting. I, it, for, I think the chemistry of the show just works a little better for me. And it has, for me, it has personal interest because it's, it's a it's a really Canadian show, mm-hmm, uh, for like for an American sitcom that aired on Fox. I mean, it's actually an American Canadian co production, mm-hmm. and uh, as far as I can think, the only principal act actor performer on it who is Canadian is Caroline Darna, who is from Montreal, mm-hmm. um, or. At, least Quebec but I think from Montreal and if you are familiar with the Canadian film industry she's had a lot of thankless roles in a lot of Canadian films and this was sort of her one shot at not being relegated to bad roles in Canadian films mm-hmm. and it, I kind of feel bad because she's great in this and I think that she's probably she's one of my favorite protagonists from this era of TV I would absolutely agree with you on that I absolutely fell in love with Carolyn Deverna uh, which I know I just mispronounced, but that's what I'm going to do because I'm American. And, <laughs> and I just, I mean, I just absolutely fell in love with her. I thought she was amazing in this role at the time. And I was really surprised to kind of see, not see her really go on to do very much. I mean, I know she did a few things, but nothing really high profile. 
And I, I was, I mean, I, I would have absolutely followed her in, into anything after this. And I just never really saw her again. Well, to, to give you an idea of what she did end up doing after this, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I don't know if this was at all on the radar of people in the States, but there was a Canadian movie called Passchendaele. And it was okay. like one of the, maybe the most expensive Canadian production of all time. And it was this very straightforward war movie. And she mm-hmm. got the thankless wife role in it. That's the Ooh. sort of stuff that she does here now. Well, and let, let us not Ooh. forget off the map. That fabulous oh, medical yeah. drama right. with uh, with her and of course QB QB two as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I I wanted to like that show so much just because I was so glad to see her in something again, but it was it was unfortunately terrible because yeah watching uh, watching Wonderfalls I remember when it was on enjoying the show enjoying all the performers in it actually it was such a pleasant mm-hmm. surprise when. Um, Pushing Daisies came out and it was and we got to see some more of Lee Pace. It was so great to see him. I actually, of course, um, Pushing Daisies is a show after my own heart because it has Mm -hmm. all the noir and it has the musical numbers and it's just like perfect for me. But I understand how it could be a bit much for you, Simon. Um, But for for Wonderfalls, looking at the the series, it it was on the air. I wasn't like blown away by any anything that Carolyn Devernis or Devrena, I can't, I, I'm not Don't Canadian. Even, it's all right. I'm not going to check I was doing, but I feel it's probably because the episodes where she gets to show more range, and I think she's particularly strong in the later episodes in the season, mm-hmm. are the more dramatic ones. And she's so fabulous at that lost little puppy dog kind of look that she keeps having to to show because Jay keeps not knowing what the universe is telling her and not understanding it and and I think that could be something that's very difficult to show or difficult to not become old or tiresome and I think she's great at that. Mm. Well, I think part of it, I think part of it is that as you say that as the show progressed, she her performance did get very strong. And I think that that's a big part of the reason why one of the reasons why it didn't last, I think, was because those first few episodes was she was very acid. She was very snarky, like to the point of, of being pretty unlikable. Uh, and, they, and the show didn't apologize for that. Um, but, I mean, she did grow and change. And by the end of that first season, she, she had become a much better person. But it was just an aggressively quirky show to start with. Mm-hmm. I, really I think was. I guess it says... I guess it says something about me that at the beginning of the show, when she's that bitter and snarky, I liked her just the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I didn't have a problem with that at all. Uh, but I think that her performance and her evolution over the course of the first and only season, I think is really key is key to the success of the show because the, I mean, it's sort of the whole, th- it's one of the many undercurrents that runs through the whole season is, you know, this idea of the cynical bastards as the secret romantics. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's sort of the show in a nutshell. I mean, it does have this, it's, it's this acid show with a gooey, almost sickly sweetheart well, when you get there. And Jay's not the only character who progresses like that as yeah. well. I love the progression you get in almost all of the characters. I would say the parents, probably Karen and Darren, uh, mm. stay pretty much the same characters throughout, though you do get, to to know them better um but i, I would say they don't change as much but eric no. changes a lot uh sharon mm-hmm. and 
Aaron as well. I love his existential crisis about yeah, uh, two yeah, thirds yeah. of the way through the show. It's just so fabulous. And even Mahandra too. I, I think there's a lot of really great performances here and it's rare to find a show where your the characters actually progress without just resetting. And who knows what would have happened in a season two, but in this first season, almost all of the characters go on a journey and are changed by the, the, the events that they experience. And that's fabulous. That's absolutely true. I think that, that Eric, um, I think he was ri- like his progression was written really well. I think that you know they they you know kind of set him up as you know this this guy his you know his wife cheated on him so he just kind of had this crisis of of you know what where his life was going. And the show kind of built him back up over the course of this of this of the season. Now I think the actor Tyron Lightso, I think that he was very likable. I think he was kind of wooden, but I think that the that the writing carried him kind of over the threshold that um, kind of allowed us to kind of see that character's growth where maybe where the actor wasn't, was just kind of going along for the ride, I think. Yeah. I, I enjoy his performance. I could see how mm-hmm. it, it would be, uh, it would be less um, interesting to some. Mm-hmm. I, I could definitely mm-hmm. see that. I think a lot of that has to do with, with the character. And so maybe it's hard to separate out what is the performance and what is, the character, similar mm-hmm. to the first season of Fringe and Anna Torf's performance in that. She was getting a lot of criticism mm-hmm. until people right. realized that was where the character was at at the moment. But um, for, for for Eric, I, what I love what they do about his character is, and so many other shows have had this kind of a guy in mm-hmm. it, and very few have actually delved into his emotional state, you know, mm-hmm. have, have shown that sort of progression. Any other time I've seen characters with this sort of a backstory, it's just a, a screw the ex-wife and, you know, and they just get over it or just bitter and then deal with it and move on. And you don't actually see this, mm-hmm. this sort of continual struggle that, that the character has. Cause as early as, what is it? Wound up penguin, the fourth episode, he's dealing mm-hmm. with anxiety attacks and, and mm-hmm. all that doesn't come to a head until like half a season later. And so I just thought it was so nice to see that expectation subver- subverted, at least, at least for me. I, I, I like the character of Eric and the way he's designed. I kind of feel like the Eric kind of presages the entirety of pushing daisies in a way. Cause he, the way his character is designed and the, and the way he has this tragic backstory and, he has these weird anxieties, like he, whenever he enters a chapel, he faints or almost faints until eventually he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's kind of the the blueprint for almost every character in Pushing Daisies. <laughs> <laughs> there are even body posture similarities between, uh, b- between I want to say it's Ned, right? Ned in Pushing yes. Daisies and mm-hmm. uh, Eric here, which are, is yeah. interesting. when If you like, just put a, a picture of them side to side, it's like sort of the shoulders are the same and hands in pockets and all of that. But uh, but but yeah, I can I totally see that connection. Maybe that's something that, that Brian Fuller wanted to explore more on, mm-hmm. on Pushing Daisies. Uh, let's talk really... Oh, and also before I forget, uh, I'm pretty sure that there's a bunch of this cast that is Canadian. At least, I know Tyron, I think Lightso... I'm pretty sure he's Canadian. Jewel State, I believe, is Canadian as well. Just before we, you know, to preempt any emails that we might get. uh, (laughs) But let's talk briefly about about Jewel State, because, of course, we knew I knew her and Simon as well from Firefly playing such a different Mm -hmm. character. It was I thought it was so much fun to see her play just a total bitch. 
that is uh, that was kind of something that I, I did want to say. Like, if there was any misstep, in my opinion, of this show, it was making her such a bitch because it's just too easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's 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 hard to root for because let's at the end of the day, Eric is a married man, mm-hmm. and they don't let him like they they don't let him off the hook for that. They absolutely you know acknowledge that and make him confront that. But having the the wife come in, and I mean, yeah, she she cheated on him. That's not in dispute. She but, didn't just cheat on him. She blew the bellboy at during their honeymoon. I well, mean, I mean, I mean, but thing is, deep down, don't don't. I mean, don't we all do that? <laughs> Haven't we all blown a bellboy or two? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I mean, having her come in and just be this uber bitch just it just made it just made it too easy to kind of root against her. But that said, well, uh, yes. I'm sorry. Well, and and it also, sorry, I just wanted to, and and also there's a credibility issue with like, we don't really understand what it is that he saw in her in the first place. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Although he does kind of seem like the guy that just goes, that just goes along for the ride. That just kind of goes wherever life is taking him. And that seems to be where life took him. But I guess that said, yeah. But I mean, that said, having Jewel State come in and play so against type. I did have a little trouble with it because she's Kaylee, you know, <laughs> she's Kaylee. You just want to like pat her on the head and give her a cookie. But then she kind of comes in and she's playing this horrible, horrible character that you, you really don't expect out of her. And I thought that was interesting. Now, also in this cast, we have Katie Finneran. Oh, yeah. As Sharon, uh, oh. well, <laughs> as fabulous as she her. is, do not watch. I hate my teenage daughter. Yeah. Don't I, do okay. that. I'm going to say right now, I actually, you know, heard I heard that she was in that, and I got really excited because I was, oh my god, Katie Finner and she's back on TV, and I'm going to watch it, and I can't even make it through three minutes of this opening episode. This is the most horrible thing that's ever <laughs> happened ever. Yeah. This is this is this is this is proof of the, of, of the the complete absence of a just and loving God. Because <laughs> well, oh, I was, show is awful. I had I even had. You know, listeners to our podcast may remember, I actually was a little excited for that show, despite how terrible the, the promos looked, just because yeah. she was in it. And I loved her so much in this. And she was she popped up very briefly in Drive as well to Minier's next show he did after this, mm-hmm. which also mm-hmm. is like one season and done, starring Nathan Fillion. So go check it out yeah. if people haven't seen it yet. But she's she's just so she's so wonderful in this in this show with a character that starts out so typical, but I just think mm-hmm. is a lot of fun. I don't know. Simon, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I like Katie Finnerin a lot, um, and her character is the um, the inspiration for probably the show's raunchiest joke in one of its uh, first <laughs> few episodes. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And and William Sadler uh, nails that punchline, um, and, and that actually and that actually uh, makes me wonder if because it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while the show will 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 really get into some super risque humor. Um, which I wonder how Fox felt about there, especially, uh, there's, uh, Jewel State delivers a key line about vegetables, uh, <laughs> near the, near the end of the series. And I'm like, really? They were going to try to get away with that one? <laughs> it's always entertaining what can and can't get past the censors. There, there's definitely some, some good humor in that direction with, with Sharon. <laughs> I, I would have been curious to see if that had aired, if that would have made the cut. I often wonder watching the show, especially the later episodes, how much of it was benefited by the fact that 
you can tell just from reading interviews at the time with, with um, Tim Minear and Brian Fuller that after a while, they were pretty sure that they weren't going to be airing the rest of these, but that they had, they knew they were all going to get made for a DVD set. Um, mm. So I, I wonder how much of, for example, Sharon's relationship with her girlfriend, which I thought was so nice to see just a regular lesbian couple mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. It's even like 2004 isn't that long ago, but but still there weren't very many of them. And so mm-hmm. to see just such a functional and normal couple between the two of them, I wonder how much of that might have been changed or affected if it had if they had known it was going to go on the air. As functional and normal as Sharon ever got. Uh cuz yeah. that was the thing. Sharon is probably far and away my favorite character on this show. Um, I think that Katie Finneran is, is amazing. I think she's wonderful. And the character is just so well-written. She's, she's probably, I think, the most three-dimensional character on this show because she's somebody that you see in real life. She is that hyper-driven professional woman who, who has all of her eggs in a row or all of her ducks in a row until you actually kind of scratch that surface and you see that she is just a mess underneath. Uh, but it's not like this cartoonish, over-the-top mess. I mean, it's somebody who she doesn't know what she wants. She's like incredibly just not prepared to deal with real life. She just wants to, you know, be liked. She wants to, you know, do, you know, her parents to kind of pat her on the head and, you know, and and all that. But at the same time, she just doesn't exactly know how to go about it. She and Jay, like that classic siblings, they love each other, but they don't particularly like each other. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, that's a very real life thing. You know, and that you don't see on TV very often. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to quickly mention that her, uh, I guess, on and off girlfriend or love interest in the show is played by uh, Carrie Matchett, another Canadian, who is one mm-hmm. of the most weirdly ubiquitous TV actors of the last decade. She's been she like pops everything. up in strange places. She's on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, do we have any further thoughts on Lee Pace other than we enjoy him and he was great in Pushing Daisies? I think he he's another one who really I think actually he's the one who maybe evolves the most in the sense that in the first couple episodes he really is just pure uh I would say even more than than uh, the Davernas character Davernach character I'm going to anyway not even try that <laughs> one anymore um I've given up and I I should be the one who doesn't um you know in the first couple episodes he's just he's just so dismissive of her and he's so self-involved mm. and he really transforms into a totally different character over the course of the season i think yeah i think potentially even more than anybody else see i think that's that's part of that is just i don't think that in the beginning they were sure what to do with him because yeah you're right in those first couple of episodes he really was kind of an asshole but like soon after that in crime dog we find out that oh well you know he and jay have a very special bond and always have and you know they become very 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 close from that point and that just kind of comes from out of the blue well, if you see, um, I, I don't know if it's a full original pilot or just a few scenes that you can mm-hmm. find. They had a different actor for, for Aaron uh-huh. at first. And it was a very different take on the character, at least and to, to wasn't me. Wasn't it Adam Scott? Yes, it was. Apparently, he didn't stay on just because he had other commitments, so he wasn't able mm-hmm. to. But, um, but, but yeah, I think it, it ended up working out pretty well. I think uh, William Sadler and Diana Scarwood are just hilarious as Darren and yes. Karen. And just mm-hmm. so I've said it, uh, Darren, Karen, Aaron, Sharon, and Jay are, is yeah. the family, which is pretty great. <laughs> How did I never notice that? Yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's pretty fabulous. And then, of course, Tracy Toms as Mahandra. It was just so much fun. And I wish they'd gotten an excuse to get her to sing because she has an amazing voice. 
Um, but uh, but I, yeah, this was the first time I had seen her, and so it was it was a lot of fun I, for me at so, least. So we've gotten twenty minutes in, and somehow haven't talked about talking animals. Yeah, talking animals. Yeah. How about that? Huh. How about that? <laughs> uh, which is you know when we talk about the similarity to Joan of Arcadia, which is a show that we shelved, uh, shelved, uh, roughly, <laughs> you know, a, a couple months ago. Um, you know, here we have the voice of what, uh, a, a, some sort of deity or I mean, it's it's clear that it is something supernatural. It's not just in her head; otherwise, it wouldn't be doing all these. You know, it wouldn't have all these magical results. Unless she is God, but I think that would be, have to be a different series. Um, so, and I, I, I like, I really like the way the mythology of the show kind of subtly whitens over the course of the, of the, of just thirteen episodes. I mean, I, I really like that over time, other characters sort of start to pick up on what's happening, even if they don't fully grasp it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that she attempts to let other people know, like the Tracy Tom's character, even though she doesn't really accept it. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been really easy to just have her go privately insane mm-hmm. and, you know, milk comedy out of that and not have anything change. And I was really happy that they didn't go that route. Right. Well, and then the question I always ask anybody when talking about Winter Falls is, do you guys have a favorite talking animal? Because I, I know I do. Uh, Dan? Um, It's probably a really boring answer, but I got to go with the wax lion. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, actually... I love the lovesick ass. <laughs> I do. I love the lovesick ass because, you know, it, it you know, kind of does its Eeyore thing at her. And then she yells at it and it tries not to cry. <laughs> and for, some, <laughs> for some reason, that's just, oh, <laughs> just kind of do well, that. The, the, well, the, the scene, I love the scene where she tortures the wax lion. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's, that's just great. a powerful scene. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the lovesick ass is great. And actually, lovesick ass is probably my single favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess we'll get to that later. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but um, I also really like, although I wasn't, it was probably my least favorite episode. I do really like the crime dog. Ah, yeah. The crime dog was fun for me. It all, I love uh, the brass monkey. I just mm-hmm. so much with the little glasses, you know, the book. I love you. It's just every time. <laughs> it's just so fun. Uh, though I will say my favorite episode since we're there is, uh, I, I think my favorite episode is Wound Up Penguin just because I love mm-hmm. Carrie Preston and the cheese so much. So, uh, and, and then all the, the whole Johnny Cash thing too. Any Johnny Cash reference is going to make me happy. Uh, Dan, how about you? Um, My favorite episode, I would probably have to, it, again, it's hard because they kind of all like slide in together. But mm-hmm. if I'm going to kind of say, oh, this is my absolute favorite, I'm probably going to have to go with Lying Pig. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's kind of because that's the episode where Jay really kind of decides to grow up. That's really the episode where, you know, the, the talking animals force her to do the right thing. And you can kind of see the, the, uh, the, shell that she's built around herself kind of crumbled down around her um that whole you know that that like like that three or four episode arc is very very important to the you know to the show but i think that's the linchpin and that's that's my favorite episode uh, for me I, I do enjoy them all for the most part I, I guess if i were to cut one it would be totem mole i don't think mm. it really fits in with the others um it felt it, kind yeah, of like a, a yeah but well, not not a not a bottle episode, but like a, it's it's this weird, totally almost totally non serialized episode 
in a long mm-hmm. run of serialized episodes. Like right. you, you, you got the sense that they produced it so that Fox would have one they could stick pretty much anywhere. Well, it's like if they had aired it three episodes before they did, it would have been a lot better. It's just well, they didn't it air it at all. Right, so it well, they didn't <laughs> air it at all. But like where, where, but where it's where it's placed. Um, yeah. It just comes right in the middle of a storyline, and it just makes no sense. It's like you know she's she's been growing and growing and growing, and all of a sudden, oh my god, all this this character development that that I've gone through, I'm just going to put that on hold for a while while I you know talk to go on a spirit people. quest basically. Yeah, exactly. It just it just she, her 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 character growth just completely backslides in that episode. We have been going for a while. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we we uh, wind this up? I don't know. I think it, 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 it's a real shame that this didn't take off. It really is. I think that it, it it's funny because Fox is probably the only network that would have taken a chance on this show. But at the same time, it had no chance whatsoever of lasting more than a month on Fox. So I, I think that I mean, it's just it's it's just a, an amazing box set. And it's, it's really funny because you talk to the people that are like, uh, you know how? OK, there's. You know, there's a TV show and everybody's on. Oh, we had such a great time and we all loved each other and this was just wonderful and oh, it's just a wonderful time in my life. Just that whole press kid bullshit that goes on with everything. This is one of those shows like Firefly where you can tell that the people on it really enjoyed being on it, really enjoyed writing it, really enjoyed putting it together, you know, and, and just was really, really sad when it ended. And you can tell because everybody that's on this show is obviously giving it 110%. And that comes through, and it really makes for an enjoyable watching experience for me personally. Um, I think that if you haven't seen it, then you really owe it to yourself to just, you know, it's on Netflix. Watch it. It's it's just an amazing show. Uh, I enjoyed the what was apparently turned out to be a full-season rewatch of stuff that I'd already seen before and forgot. Uh, <laughs> all that considered, I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to based on my recollection of how I ended up being, I ended up finding Pushing Daisies a little bit grating. Um, I, like I said, I, I think uh, I, I'm just really, I was really pushed along by my enthusiasm for uh, Carolina Devilna and uh, her character and just, and the way the cast evolves overall. Uh, I, I'm not like a huge fan of the Brian Fuller aesthetic that sort of develops between this and Pushing Daisies. It's hyper stylized and, and extremely cute, but I think there's just enough bitterness to make that go down a little easier with me mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I'm very glad that based on, with a slightly different contract, they could have very easily made the two or three episodes that they aired and none other than that. Like it could have mm-hmm. ended up like so many other shows that only got, I mean, it could have ended up like Lone Star or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, instead we get a full season sort of, I mean, not quite a full season by Fox standards, but still 13 episodes is nothing to scoff at of an hour long they- show. They did get to end their story, which is really nice. Yes, it's yeah. it, unlike so many of those other shows that you know get canceled and get juggled around and never f- finish coming to air. This is very much an arced, complete story, and I think that was because they knew the writing was on the wall. They knew that they weren't going to get more episodes, so they did. They tied everything sort of in a nice, neat little bow, um, character-wise at least. Uh, and, and so I do think it's one that people should check out. Catch it on DVD. Catch it on Netflix. I will repeat what you guys had already said. Carolyn Davernis, I think, is great, particularly towards the end. And it's just, there's not really, I mean, there's some 
Dead Like Me comparisons, but other than that, there's not really another show that I can think of that's like this one. So I think that makes it worth checking out anyways, despite everything sure. else. So, so uh, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, you are on Bigger on the Inside and on Earth 2. Where else can our listeners find you? Well, I am on uh, Facebook. Uh, again, my name is Dan Toland. I am also on Twitter, uh, Boss Dan, B-O-S-D-A-N. Uh, not that I really have anything interesting to say in either of those places, but I am there. Good times. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. And we'll uh, be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you for listening.